This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Well, as you likely heard in the news, we got the rules released this past week when it comes to the legalization of cannabis on the federal level. We got the rules released on the provincial level, the new legislation tabled dealing with legalization. But there are still a few to say the least, questions about how things will roll out and how things will be governed. Well, joining me on the line to talk a bit more about this is Kirk Toussaint. He's a, a criminal defense lawyer. He's a lawyer very well versed in the rules of cannabis and such. And Kirk, great to have you back on the program. Oh, it's my pleasure. Anytime. Uh, what concerns do you have with what we know so far on a provincial level, how B.C. is going to be dealing with the federal legislation dealing with the cannabis legalization? Sure. I mean, I think we have to separate that out into sort of two parts. It's uh, rules dealing with sort of the business plan, and the business end of things, and then the rules that we've learned dealing just with consumers, just with people who like to consume cannabis who might want to purchase it in a store, uh, or grow a little bit for themselves. Uh, On that end of things, I think probably the most troubling thing that came down uh, last week was this idea that while it's going to be legal to grow up to four cannabis plants per household, uh, you can't do it in a place where uh, anyone else can see it. Uh, And and that sort of seems to me to be a bit silly. So if you live in an apartment and you want to grow a cannabis plant on your balcony, you're not going to be allowed to. Uh, if you live in a neighborhood where you don't have a lot of room and you want to grow a cannabis plant in your garden, you're not going to be allowed to. Um, and, and this just sort of treats people that consume cannabis uh, like second-class citizens. There's no reason cannabis should be illegal just because someone else can see it. Uh, that seems to me to be a bit silly and uh, is, is unfortunately going to land some people in trouble that don't deserve to be there. Um, On the other side of things, on the business plan side of things, uh, I think there's a lot of details that we still need to see. How easy is it going to be for the existing retail industry in this province, which numbers um, something like two to 400 stores across the province right now? How easy is it going to be for those people to transition uh, into the new legal regime and become part of legally selling cannabis and doing what they've been doing uh, in the some instances for up to 20 years, uh, perfectly fine here in British Columbia. Uh, and that's what it seems to. So for the, even if we look at, uh, say, Vancouver or Victoria, where there are dispensaries operating, from what I understand, they will have to reapply without any guarantee that they'll be getting a license or that they'll be able to continue on with that business. Well, that's right. And, and for many of these institutions, their patients have come to depend on them for their source of access to medicine. I mean, I think one thing that we, we tend to lose sight of as we uh, legalize recreational cannabis, which is obviously a fantastic step forward, and, and we should commend everybody involved for, for being bold enough to take that step. But one thing we've lost sight of is that you know, many of the people shopping at these stores right now are, are using it for medical purposes. And despite medical cannabis being legal in this country since at least 2001, you still can't go and buy at the store legally anywhere in this country. So I I think we need to sort of remember that these folks exist, number one, and have some sensitivity that, you know, their access to uh, the place that they've been going sometimes for years to buy cannabis uh, for their medical purposes uh, may be uh, infringed upon if we don't handle the transition uh, to legal stores properly.
And what about the issue of edibles not being legalized at the same time? Because that's something else just from covering this. If you walk into the dispensaries, that is a big part of the business model. Will that disappear for a time until that's dealt with? I think that's part of the questions that we need to have answered in this transition for a lot of people that use, particularly for medical purposes, uh, edibles or topicals or these non-smoked forms of cannabis, which have been legal since uh, the Supreme Court of Canada uh, decided this case in 2015, um, you still don't have ready access to that. You can buy some forms of ingestible cannabis via mail order from licensed producers, and, and that's great. That's a great option for some people. But it's not uh, what a lot of people are used to. It's not what's effective for a lot of people. There are strict rules about those products. They're, they're quite low potency for THC purposes. And so, you know, in this new regime, if you're only selling legal products, well, you're only going to be selling those things that are available through the federal government system. And so a lot of folks are going to uh, quite likely lose access to products that they've been using uh, for the for the quality of life for many years. And, and that's a problem. That's something we need to be sensitive to, and that's something we need to think about uh, in this transitional stage. And my hope, really, uh, is that there's some leniency. I mean, I think the federal government, John Horton, and certainly the premier, uh, understands that this is a transitional and evolutionary process, um, and, and I commend him for having that wisdom. Uh, hopefully that carries over into a period of time in which we're not going to be, um, you know, enforcing the criminal law, certainly against dispensaries that are either not transitioning or taking some time to transition to ensure that their clientele uh, still has reasonable access. Uh, One of the other comments made on Thursday that I think has some people a bit concerned was from Mike Farnworth, the Solicitor General, saying that the provinces need to hear ASAP from the federal government about technology that might be approved for testing for drug impairment, uh, particularly drug impairment behind the wheel. Uh, That seems a little bit like putting the cart before the horse if we're going ahead with this, but there's no way other than, uh, from what I read, an officer who might pull somebody over and deem that that person is impaired, there's really no way to test for it. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, if we're waiting for this mythical technology, we're going to be waiting for a very long time because the technology simply doesn't exist. And the reason the technology doesn't exist has very little to do with actually technology and has very much to do with the fact that the science on impairment by cannabis is pretty mixed. Uh, It seems very clear that if you're a novice user, somebody new to the substance, and particularly if you take high doses of edibles, sure, you probably shouldn't get behind the wheel. You probably are impaired. But for experienced consumers that are consuming by inhalation, smoking, or vaping uh, in reasonable amounts, there's very little scientific evidence that that actually impairs your ability to drive a motor vehicle. It does affect your reaction time slows it down slightly, not as much as alcohol, but slightly. Uh, But what it also does is it makes you less prone to taking risks, whereas alcohol does the exact opposite. It makes you more prone to taking risks as well as a a worse driver. So, you know, this piece of technology that we're waiting for uh, right now isn't going to yield evidence uh, that's relevant to the question of whether a person's impaired. Uh, And I think also, let's, let's just face facts, there's lots and lots of people using cannabis today before it's legal. 
and somehow we've managed to avoid any kind of carnage on the streets. And there's no real reason to think that that's going to change post-legalization. But really, should anybody be getting behind the wheel in, if, if anything has slowed down their reaction time? Well, I think if, you, if your ability to drive is impaired by anything, whether it's fatigue, which can have a substantial impact, alcohol, pharmaceutical substances, cannabis, you name it, you shouldn't be behind the wheel. What I'm really concerned about is that when we focus on technology, it starts to creep into, and the federal government has done this in its legislation, into saying, look, we can say with some accuracy that if you have over X percentage of uh, this compound in your bloodstream, then we're going to say you're impaired. There's no science to support that. And so particularly for medical consumers who might be using it for a chronic condition and and consuming it on a daily basis, um, these folks aren't what you know, you and I might call high. They're, they're not feeling those euphoric effects, uh, and yet their blood concentration of the breakdown metabolites of THC, which is what we currently test for and which is what's listed in the federal legislation, is going to always be over the legal limit. I mean, from the moment they wake up in the morning to the moment they go to bed at night. And so I'm concerned that we're creating an entire class of people who are primarily medical users that are violating the criminal law every time they get behind the wheel, uh, even though they're not impaired. And, and that's a real problem. Uh, I think right now we have trained police officers. You know, if you're driving erratically, you get pulled over, you fail a series of psychomotor tests, the officer has the discretion to take you off the road immediately uh, or and or issue you uh, a ticket or charge you with a criminal offense. If you get charged with a criminal offense, you have the right to defend yourself in court beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, that seems to me to be a system that we have in place now. Sure, it's like any discretionary system subject to some abuse, either conscious or unconscious by the, by the officer, um, but it's a, it's a darn sight better than pretending some magical number um, is going to actually tell us who's impaired or not when there's no science uh, behind that. All right, uh, Kirk, we have to leave it there. We're out of time. But thanks for joining the show this morning. I appreciate it. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.